The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. Hello and welcome back to the Conquest of Bliss. I am here with the incredible Gaio of Susius Are My Favorite and Recovering Sex Addict and Widow here to talk to us about sex addiction. How are you today, Gaio? Sleepy, sober, and hungry, but I'm going to work on the sober part. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I relate. I, cannabis is my my saving grace really mm-hmm. um so uh i just yeah can you talk to me a little bit about first of all like what sex addiction is because and i'll explain why i'm asking so maybe that'll help um, sure. so there's a few addictions out there where like obviously food addiction falls into the same category where the solution to it tends not to be complete abstinence for the rest of your life so can you talk a little bit about sex addiction and and what what makes something sex addiction yeah so there's various forms of sex addiction and mine specifically is intercourse addiction and you know when you say that out loud it just kind of sounds weird intercourse like isn't that sex but yeah but under the umbrella of sex addiction i mean there's pornography there's voyeurism exhibitionism all kinds of different aspects masturbatory yeah so there's different um parts of it and when you say sex addiction, some people will automatically assume intercourse or some people just assume a whole umbrella of things. So that's why I usually uh, specify intercourse, which was my addiction. Okay. And like you said, food addiction is one of those that you just can't stop because you still have to eat. Sex is also part of a relationship. Unlike mm-hmm. drugs or alcohol, you just stop taking those and now you're you know, in recovery and you're not doing that anymore. <clears throat> so for me, the biggest issue was just realizing that I was a sex addict. It, uh, in my youth or in my teens, 20s, whatever, I always thought, oh, it's just something that uh, celebrities say to get an extra chance before having to get divorced and pay alimony. Like, I just thought it was a thing mm-hmm. that was made up. I didn't think it was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I did come to realize that I was one, it was like, holy shit, there's um, something wrong with me. And I had to work on it through therapy and stuff. And the way, and even when I finished therapy and finished going through group therapy and realizing how to address my issues, Um, I still couldn't answer that question, which was about 10 years ago that, you know, what's the difference between the sex, knowing that you're a sex addict and how to deal with it in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And now, or since then, the better answer that I have is when I do pursue sex, it's not just for physical gratification, it's leading towards a relationship. So I'm not going out there and being a typical guy and being the fuck boy and sleeping with as many women as possible. It's more of I'm sleeping with the intent to have a relationship or be with one partner. I got you. I got you. Um, that makes sense to me. And I guess like the biggest question on my mind, um, probably for selfish reasons, um, is the difference between healthy hypersexuality and sex addiction. Because like, I guess, okay, I'm going to share a little bit about myself quickly. So I, uh, you know, have had relationships and stuff. I'm in a happy relationship now. That's all great. But between my last extremely unhealthy relationship and my current healthy relationship, um, I, well, I've actually, I've had a lot of hypersexuality that I know is sort of rooted in sexual abuse when I was young and stuff. But the, the way, like, 
the way that that looked sort of, um, I'm obviously not going to go too graphic and describe anything, but the way that would look was, you know, like, um, I was definitely into hookup, hookup culture and the whole FWB thing for a while because I knew that I wasn't ready for a relationship emotionally. So I ended up sort of what a lot of people might call sleeping around, whatever. There's a lot of terms for it, but I didn't find that it was destructive in like it didn't make me feel bad about myself and it didn't cause problems with me having a relationship in the future. So I don't know that I would classify that as a problem. So I guess my question is, where's that line? Do you know? For me personally, and, and I get this quite often is like, you know, what's the difference between hypersexuality or another version or word for that and sex addiction? And my answer is kind of, it's two things. One is it, it doesn't have to be destructive to your life. But are you having sex with people you have absolutely no interest in? Are these people that, you know, if you saw them again, you would be embarrassed of playing them? I'm not talking about like some drunken hookup. I'm talking about sober, actively hooking up with people that you have zero interest in. The other one would also be that um, when you're having sex, it's not for enjoyment. I mean, part of it is the enjoyment, the climax, the, you know, the release, whatever you want to call it. But the other part of it is to mask or ignore or get over some other problem that you're dealing with in your life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't see that, you know, when, when we're doing it, like when I, I definitely did not notice that it was um, an issue when I was having sex, I was like, Oh, I just want to get it in. Or this girl at the bar is checking me out. So I might as well. And that was my mentality. It was just a numbers game, just having more women under my belt. Um, when I went back and realized I was like, Oh shit, I was having a bad day that day or I didn't get a promotion I wanted. I didn't get a raise that I was asking for. Um, my wife wasn't paying attention to me and you know, whatever. It was just some stupid reason to mask the feeling of some type of hurt or trauma or issue that I was going through. And of course, at the moment, I didn't realize it. Like I said, it was just a matter of, oh, this girl likes me. This girl's attractive. Eh, she's not that attractive, but she's giving me the eye. So mm-hmm. let's do this. So it's like a little bit insidious is what you're saying. Is oh, yeah. it, it can kind of happen under the radar, mm-hmm. um, which totally makes sense. Because again, just like food addiction, as opposed to other addictions, there's some level of, well, with food, you need it, but there's some level of expectation that adults will have sexual intercourse, um, sexual activity. So I can understand why that'd be a little bit more insidious. You know, why would you question your motives when it's a biological drive? Mm-hmm. Um so that's really interesting. I'm just thinking back to, to myself and going, oh, okay. Because, um, yeah, like I will admit that in those moments, I mean, it was agreed upon, but there was there was not a lot of interest. Like <laughs> it's almost always people like, oh, well, you're not a good match for me long term, but you're here <laughs> and I'm here and we're attracted enough. So maybe that is sex addiction, but, you know, um, I don't know. That's really interesting. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about what it looks like when you start to unpack that? Because that's, I think, one of the parts that's scary for people is, and, and I mean, you can share as little or as much as you want, of course, but when you start to unpack that and, and sort of what made you realize, like, you know, you said, I looked back and realized, well, there was probably a moment where you were like, shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So unpacking it was, um, in steps. So, uh, I'd gotten divorced from my first wife or separated and I was on dating apps, hooking up with women left and right. And, uh, the difference was, or not even much of a difference, but I found a female friend that at first, you know, there was a sexual attraction. We did hook up a couple of times, but then I realized I'd rather have her as a friend and I didn't know how to navigate that. So I still 
slept with her and did things and hung out with her. And eventually, you know, we just stopped having sex. And I was like, look, I'd rather have you as a friend than lose you over time. And I didn't know how to navigate or explain it. I just, you know, just blurted it out. And she goes, yeah, I like you too. You're a good friend. I'd rather keep you around. And now she's married and we still keep in touch. But in that friendship, <clears throat> uh, our work schedules were kind of different. So we could only hang out after about eight o'clock in the evening because uh, her job ended later. But then also she was going through what's called celebrate recovery. Um, it is kind of, it's a Christian umbrella for a lot of addictions, food, sex, alcohol, um, drugs, codependency, love dependency, and a couple others that I forget what they are. There's just a whole bunch of things that they can meet. So the meeting would take place in a church. Um, it's not directly sponsored by a church. It's just Christian faith, Christian faith based relationship. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it'd be different denominations. So every night of the week, there's a different uh, church you can go to. And she was such a people pleaser that she couldn't stop a convert. Even though she was annoyed with the person who wanted to leave, she couldn't like, oh, hey, I got to go. She couldn't say mm -hmm. that for herself. No boundaries. So then, exactly. She didn't have her own boundaries that she didn't establish. So she was just there for hours and hours. So we'd end up only hanging out for 30, 40 minutes at a time or maybe an hour because she wouldn't get out till nine or 10 o'clock at night. So... I would start going to the meetings just for the purpose of being, hey, we got to go, we're going to go see this movie and just drag her with <laughs> For dragging her out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was her, I was her way out. And of course I just sat there and went through the motions. Uh, the first meeting or the first part of the meeting is a big group meeting and it's either some type of video testimonial, a personal testimonial or some Bible scripture and kind of like a mini sermon or whatever about how we're not alone and Christ is with us and we can get through this. Um, and then the, uh, the second half or the second two thirds is um, small group where we break down into whatever our addictions are, whether it's, uh, you know, sex, food, love, whatever. And we'd have to sit down and have a conversation about the things that we're going through. So it was kind of like an AA meeting, but it was like AA, SA, NA, everything there mm -hmm. in one building. And then you just break off after you first meet up. Um, and like I said, sex addiction was the group I'd go to but I couldn't relate to the guys because their, their addictions were either porn or uh, sex workers, um, either that they like hooking up with them. They like talking dirty to them, whatever, but there was just different reasons for why they were there. And I'm like, I don't have this problem. My problem is, or not even a problem. I'm just always getting it in. So I'm just <laughs> here killing time, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then when it would come around to me, I'd finally say something. Oh yeah. I, I, I masturbated today and I watched porn and blow, which at the time wasn't true. Like I'm, I rarely watch porn mm -hmm. um, just because like, why watch it when I can do it? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll get into something that maybe later, but um, <laughs> with this, I finally was like, oh my God, I'm getting tired of coming to all these meetings. And one day during the main meeting, there was this guy that was talking about his meth addiction or his drug addiction. And he said, yeah, I did it because I was having a bad day because um, I was in a bad mood. I was this, I was that, I was sad, I was lonely. I was bored, whatever. And all of his reasons, I was like, holy shit. Um, those are the exact same reasons that I go out and have sex. Like I was bored. I had a bad day. My wife wasn't paying attention to me. My wife, it had been two or three days since my wife gave it up. So why am I waiting around? So it was always these random excuses that instead of vocalizing or confronting them, I just hid and masked with sex. Um, so that was the realization. And I forgot the question. Oh, um, um, so unpacking it. So <laughs> unpacking came through uh, going through the group therapy, which is um, there's a small, large group, 
in, in uh and then your breakout groups yeah your breakout groups so large group small group is what they called it and then they would have a study group where you would go in it'd be a group uh, therapy session where there was um some booklets that were made by both um christian staff and therapists psychologists or psychiatrists the one they the ones that can issue drugs forget which one of oh, those. psychiatrist that one so um <laughs> they made kind of like a program and asked like deep and probing questions hey when was the first time you realized this how did you feel when this happened so there's a lot of questions that you'd write out the answers to and then in the uh, step study group you'd go through the 12 steps and you'd talk about what was going on what you were feeling what you were dealing with uh going through and trying to make amends all the whole nine and i realized that there was a lot of things particularly in my upbringing and i didn't have any issues with sexual abuse there was a lot of situations where that could have turned or ended up being sexual abuse but i essentially like stood up for myself or just felt mm -hmm. like this is wrong and removed myself from the situation what pushed me more towards sexual addiction is growing up with machismo or in the latin community is that there's kind of the belief you take care of your family and the bonus or the prize for being um, the good spouse or husband or whatever is that you get to have your cake and eat it too. So mm -hmm. you can have your side piece, but it's not a relationship. It's just sex. So that was, that was a distinction. And the more women you're with, the more of a man you are. And that was kind of like a constant undertone growing up. Um, and then also in middle school, high school, or no, sorry, middle school, I realized, right. I'd cried over some girl that, you know, she rejected me. I told her, Hey, page me by this time. So we can go out on a date. She never paged me or used a beeper to call me in time to let Aww. me know. So that I was like heartbroken, I started crying. And there was other things that were going on that made me cry. And I think I was 11, 10 or 11. Um, and then I got angry with myself that why are you crying? Because also in, in Latin community, boys don't cry. Mm -hmm. So by crying, I'm a pussy, I'm a little fag, I'm a little bitch. Why am I crying? Fuck that hoe, fuck that bitch. I'm never, I'm gonna have her regret it. So since then I had that mentality of like, you're either gonna want me or wish you had me. That was that was just my bravado, mm -hmm. my boast, my mantra, my mindset is that like, you know, no woman's worth me crying over ever so, again. So if I'm, if I'm understanding correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but basically you were using that sexuality and that narrative as a way to build up your self-esteem build exactly. up your um your confidence in mm -hmm. yourself um, and my self-worth yeah to totally yeah, my identity is as well. the one i was looking for yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and that you know just made things work it was just a snowball it started small with just making out with girls and you know finger banging them getting head in middle school doing all the stupid stuff um and it, the weird thing though is i also didn't get into sex until my senior year of high school. And that was mostly because of my mother. She told me, or when she realized that I was like chasing after girls, uh, she gave me this kind of quote or saying that I'm responsible for you, not your kid. So some little girl loves you enough to open up her legs, that little slut better love you enough to take you in because I'm not raising your kid. You're gonna go <laughs> over there and take care of it. And I was like, shit. So I was always trying to like get rid of my virginity. Like I'm not gonna be a virgin by the time I get to high school. And, uh, you know, you'd, I'd always hear rumors about this one girl that's, you know, a slut or she does this or she does that. All I have to do is get her drunk or high and she'll do whatever you want. And, you know, there's rumors like that all throughout middle school and high school. And I'd make plans to meet up or hook up with this girl at a skip party or at a weekend party or whatever. And sure as shit, like every time I had something scheduled, either later that day or 
um, before the party started, I'd hear from some other male acquaintance and he'd be like, yo, did you hear about Jose and Susie? Man, they hooked up at a party two months ago. They used a condom, did it one time, and now she's pregnant. Like, I don't want to hear that. That's the last <laughs> thing I want to hear. They had a pregnant one time or one time can't condom and she's pregnant now. So I just cancel or not show up. So I always get scared out of having sex all throughout high school. That makes sense. That makes mm. sense. I, uh, I was not as wise <laughs> in my youth. Um, <clears throat> I was about 14 and, uh, yeah. So, but I have more questions. We could go on mm. about that. I mean, it's pretty interesting, but I've also, whatever. Um, the, uh, the question that I had is, it's it's hard to figure out how to to like phrase it um in a way because i don't want to be combative or argumentative oh, no, no. don't worry um, i i don't take offense to anything i've i have super thick skin so even if you intend to be nice and it comes off sounding combative i'm not i don't get sand in my vagina i don't yeah. worry about yeah so don't worry about I'm not, that. i'm not trying to like challenge what you're saying mm -hmm. or whatever but one of the things that i guess i'm struggling to understand is that like there's you know um a lot recently there's been more research that like aggression and having sex and things like that can be really good for our stress levels in our body and so i guess i wonder how like you know if you're you're bored or you're having a bad day i've always understood it to be healthy to turn to sex for comfort if like say my, my grandma died you know or my cat died which both are things that happened and i immediately had sex after um because because i was you know feeling sad and wanted those endorphins and the comfort and the um the contact with another human and this, these were both with my current partner but my point i guess <laughs> my rambling point is that i'm having a hard time understanding when when it becomes unhealthy because there is definitely like that's definitely a function of sex even in a healthy sexual situation for you to have sex when you're you know emotionally charged so i guess could you elaborate on that is what i'm trying to ask yeah um so again it, it's also something that i deal with now is that even in a relationship sometimes i'll question am i having sex because i want to or am i having sex because i want to mask something and there's, I would say there's a difference between trying to mask a feeling, which would be something silly like, oh man, I didn't get, well, I mean, not silly, but um, as innocuous or as unimportant as uh, someone passing away or, or an animal or a loved one, a loved one, because whether they're animal or human, they're still a loved one. So a loved one passing away versus some random life event that's just Someone cut you off in traffic. Important. Right, right, right. So yeah, getting cut off in traffic, um, you know, uh, getting yelled at by your boss or whatever. So, so there's a distinction between, you know, something that's hypercharged and something that's just kind of like puts you in a bad mood. Well, and um, it sounds like maybe you're saying too, that there's a difference between masking and seeking comfort. Exactly. Um, because masking is how I want to distract myself to get away mm -hmm. from this versus seeking comfort is I want to immerse myself in something else so that I can have time to heal from this. Yeah. And then it's, and it's all going to be subjective. It's all individualistic on the person because Sometimes maybe they do need to have sex to feel better. And I would say it's better to do so in a relationship versus just finding a random stranger. Even if that relationship's a FWB or, you know, no strings attached, whatever, if it's just sex, but as long as it's with that one person, so you can, the function of sex is kind of twofold. One is that release, but then also it's like uh, bonding or cementing mm -hmm. a bond within another person. Um, and with the hookup culture, males have to learn to ignore that, ignore the oxytocin Females too. <laughs> yeah, but, but females get more, or females have a more steady um, 
amount of oxytocin in their system. I forget the study, but uh, it's roughly females are between 60 and 80% of oxytocin at all times because they have a lot of interpersonal relationships with other females that they can have those conversations and have those relationships with. Males, we can only talk about work, politics, and sports. Yeah. Anything else, you're a little bitch. So anger. we can't have that. And anger. Oh, yeah, anger. <laughs> Being mad about stuff. Um, <clears throat> so we usually hover between 10 and 30% or whatever the numbers are. And we get a jump up to 90 to 100% after we have sex, we have that release. And the idea, I mean, this was also based off of a Christian study where the idea behind it is that's why we should wait to have sex after marriage. Because once you're married and once you have sex on your honeymoon and you have that release of oxytocin, now that cements that love hormone. And now you're bonded with your wife and you want to protect her and love her and do all those happy things for her. However, because of the hookup culture, because of, uh, uh, women's lib and all the other things that happened since the 60s and now that you know sex is more freely given and open and not um, as interpersonal or as uh, bonding as it used to be now we have to ignore that so that's why when a lot of girls say oh why isn't he into me why did he just use me well he had to get used to the rejection because if a guy tells you i love you after hooking up that first night you meet or you know a couple of weeks later on the third date that's going to seem weird versus your husband telling you I love you right after you have sex for the first time. Mm -hmm. So guys have to stop that um, feeling or that emotion. So to sort of follow up a little bit um, on, you know, you mentioned that this is, you know, sort of Christian based and I get that. Um, I understand I was raised in the Christian culture. Um, so I was taught that stuff too. And it's really interesting to hear at least some basis mm -hmm. <laughs> um, for, for that thinking. But my question is, uh, I have two, oh, okay. Which one first? All right. My question is, um, do you know of programs or steps that people can take if they're worried about sex addiction that are outside of um, faith-based leanings? Just because mm. I know that a lot of people are atheistic and right. also have, you know, the same issues as anyone who's any other religion. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so my mind, I just happened to fall into that. It wasn't that I was pursuing that because it was Christian-based. It was just like where mm -hmm. I happened to be at the time when I found out, and I just kind of followed through with that. There is um, SAA, um, Sex Addictions, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Anonymous and uh, there's group meetings. There's uh, Zoom meetings for that as well. Um, you can probably find a therapist. You'd ideally want a CSAT, Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. Um, okay. And... They would be licensed regular therapists or uh, hopefully you can get through your insurance depending on your company mm -hmm. in the U.S. and in, in Canada, I guess, you know, it's universal health care. So I don't know if therapists eh, are covered. When it comes it's, to mental health, it's not as good as it. Right. It or not as. Be. Yeah. So it depends. I mean, it's still gonna be out of pocket. Um, so as far as free options, I think it's SAA or uh, Celebrate Recovery. Um, as far as working with the thing and everybody, sorry backtrack this step you know some people are different um personally i couldn't do work one-on-one -on -one with a therapist mm -hmm. uh, at least not one that is also a sex addict if i had a therapist <laughs> or I, I had a, I, no no it's it's true because my mind is like you don't know what the fuck i'm going through you just know sex through a book you just know x y and z so i'm building up walls and barriers personally that i why should i share with with him or her what I'm going through, they're probably going to go rub one out to this because all the crazy stuff that I've done, they're going to, you know, whatever. And so it's like they don't know what I'm going through, so they can't relate, so they can't help me. And if they can relate, then it's then it feels then, then like... it, it would yeah, it feels easier, more natural. Like okay, I don't. I, there's a shorthand that I don't have to explain. Okay, I did this because blah 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 blah. I could just say oh, I had sex out of that day. They get it. 
Yeah. Um, whereas in a group setting, then there's also the um, inverse of that where uh, you can go and feed off of, okay, well, at least in a group setting or sex addicts, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not as fucked up as them. At least this, at least that, you know, so then you can um, make yourself a little more grandiose and feel, oh, well, you know, at least I'm not that bad. At least I'm not this. At least I'm not that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was, what's the word? Um, not frustrating, um, not comforting, but it was kind of a vicious cycle of like, oh, I, I shouldn't stay in this situation because these jerks, these assholes, this person, that person um, is worse off than me. And instead of working on myself and getting better, I was just seeing it as like, oh, I'm already better than them. So I don't have to do anything. And then that mm -hmm. could just be a slippery slope. Well, you know, at least I didn't go have sex in exchange for drugs with someone else, you know, mm -hmm. so it could just well, be that. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, no. I just, it, that just be like another aspect of it. Um, I was just going to say uh, one of the nice things about group based ones is that vulnerability can be uh, contagious. You know, um, I've noticed that if I walk into a room and I'm like, I have severe anxiety because of this and this and I was crying on my way here. People are way more likely to tell me about the, the similar experiences they had. So that can be nice to have a bit of a starter. Um, and what about what about resources that are not necessarily person based? Like, do you have any books you might recommend or things I like didn't... that? I didn't go through books. I'm sh I would hope that there are some books. If not, maybe I should write one. But um, as far as like personal, maybe even uh, those AI or, well, no, because I just have to talk to someone. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not aware of any non-personal therapy or ways to do therapy um, other enough. than just knowing that there are other people out there. So you're not alone. But so then i have my final question before we move on to finding out where people can find you okay. and then our super fun game um so the final question and it's probably a big one is what does recovery look like so you know you've gone through this process you've realized you're having all these issues what does that actually play out like in you know you said you're in a happy relationship now and mm. you know how does that how does that go so the process into recovery is for me was realizing that oh, I don't, I don't have to set, have sex to feel better about anything. I can control that within myself. And that was a struggle because I developed a reputation for not being a sex addict, but being good in the sack. And as I was going through recovery, I'd have, um, old flings, old hookups that would message me down the line, years down the line that, Hey, you know, I'm single now, or, Hey, I'm going through a divorce. You want to meet up? And it was a lot of temptation that I had to deal with. Um, but realizing, okay, maybe I do want to hook up with her, but would it be worth it? Would it, you know, I, I thought of the consequences after, so I had to play out a lot of scenarios. Mm -hmm. And the biggest one when I was starting out was, okay, is this going to hurt me or someone else? Like, is, is there, would it hurt her relationship? Would it make it difficult for her and her husband either to get back together? Would it make her divorce worse? Would he like fight her for, um, you know, full custody or not paying any alimony or whatever was going on, you know? So I, I thought of a bunch of scenarios that would follow afterwards. And eventually I got to the point was, eh, I don't need sex every day. Like I thought I did in my, in my twenties. I'm fine with once or twice a week, as long as it's with my partner. And like I said, that that's a process to try to get through it or try to figure out what's going on is both frustrating and um, 
inspiring or I can't think of the word right now, but I, I feel better that I made a good choice versus just going in and having sex because that endorphin, that high of after having sex only lasts for a few minutes, but feeling good about yourself, knowing that you are not better, better than who you were. So not better than someone else, but better than you're a better version of yourself, knowing mm -hmm. that I'm a better version now than I was 10, 20, 15 years ago. Um, is kind of like, okay, I, I can ride this high. I can ride this feeling, the sensation and not have to rely on my old bad habits. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. Very rewarding. Um, okay, so I lied. I have one more question. Sure. Um, but this question isn't necessarily directed directly at you, but it's a question that I've wondered for a while. And since you've mm -hmm. had, had, you know, you have peers that have similar stuff, maybe you can help, is that I know that it's a really common problem with people, especially with pornography addiction, <clears throat> And similar addictions that, you know, the, the way it usually goes is pornography tends to get more and more extreme and, you know, whether it's extreme visually or it's extreme psychologically. And as that happens, um, it can become more and more difficult for people to com complete I don't know, orgasm. Um, and, and so do you know of treatments for people who are struggling with stuff like that? Like, I mean, you know, uh, or tick trick tricks and tips, not ticks and trips, um, <laughs> tricks and tips for people who might be struggling with wanting to get back to a more neutral place with their sexuality. Oh, that is, that is a very good question. Um, so in my sex addiction, I fell into BDSM. Um, and it is just, that's, that's a story for another day, mm -hmm. but I, I fell into BDSM and it, it's kind of funny how I, eh, funny, whatever, it's an anecdotal, how I ended <laughs> up in it. And in BDSM, there's so many things you can do and see kind of like pornography where, you know, the stuff that you see, you can actually do it um, and make females do whatever you want them to do or whatever I would want them to do because, you know, I wanted to have that control of that power over them. Um, and getting away from that, I'm still now involved in the BDSM community, just not as depraved as I used to be. <laughs> and it wasn't with, you know, willy nilly with any random female that I met, it would usually be with my partner. Mm -hmm. that I worked through that. And as far as, I guess, devolving from, or, well, you would devolve into a bad situation and then kind of go back to normal, I guess. Yeah, re-evolving. Um, <laughs> so it is, it, it's difficult, not difficult for me. It would be, um, it was a challenge to go from wanting or needing some depraved stuff to be able to finish, be able to climax. Um, an example would be uh, extreme voyeurism, or sorry, extreme exhibitionism, or even getting her to do dirtier things than normal, even in a public setting. Um, one would be for me to finish on her somewhere visible, not on her clothes, but on her skin somewhere, so and have her not clean it up or wash it off for at least six hours. So wherever she goes, and that would, and it was more of knowing that she was going to do that for me than actually climaxing. Mm -hmm. So over time, I had to change that. Okay, hey, you know that is a bad, depraved, mean, evil thing to do that feeds not my sexual um, needs or appetite. Yeah. It just feels, feels a depraved, uh, sadistic part of me that mm -hmm. I need to kind of ignore. So it was a long process to kind of taper down from that. Like I said, uh, we, can, we can talk about that another day, but getting there, it takes a lot of work. You're not just going to go from um, wanting to see uh, biracial midget clowns with a horse to you know piv like it's a, it's a long slope to get up there and to come back down you just can't 
so turn off a switch so i guess just so that i can make sure that i understand what you're saying and my audience as well um so you're saying that like say you start at the biracial midget porn uh, midget horse porn um and you're trying to get down to you know just like regular maybe pov piv um <laughs> and so you know, you might take a step that's like, maybe they're full-sized pe biracial people <laughs> with with a horse. And then maybe it's just biracial people without a horse. And then maybe it's just people. That kind of thing? <laughs> sort of. It, you know, it tapers down just like it ramps up with porn addiction. You know, you don't start off or you don't jump into that. I mean, you go with whatever's normal or trending. Then you'll add grandmas or you'll add uh, hookers. You'll add whatever. And you're, like I said, you're going to ramp up just like you ramped up. You know, you didn't shoot from... PIV to crazy whatever you're not going to just turn it off it's it's a gradual slope going up and coming back down is the same thing that totally makes sense so while I pull up the deets for our super fun game can you let people know where to find you and hear more from you about oh, yeah. you so I am Cochino Chingon on Instagram TikTok also on uh Twitter and Snapchat, though I'm hardly there, but you can still find me on those <laughs> platforms. And my podcast is Sucias, are my favorite, S-U-C-I-A-S, um, and also Cochino Chingon are Spanish words, so the way they sound is the way they're spelled. Yes. Um, and I talk about um, love, dating, sex, and relationship advice with a kink twist because of my BDSM past. And it's not exactly what you would think. It's not about getting you to open up and get into BDSM, but rather take an aspect of BDSM and kink where we have full disclosure with our partners before we have sex. So we both know what we're getting into, what we want, what we expect, and what are some safe words or cautionary words that we can try out and have that communication because in a normal relationship, I don't know about you, but at least most female friends that I've had, whenever they're in a new relationship or with a new partner, they'll say something, oh yeah, don't stop or harder or whatever, but that's it. It's only during sex. You don't have a conversation outside of sex of what can make you more pleasurable or happy or even your interests. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think that that's, I think that that's really valuable because I think that, you know, like you kind of alluded to, there are darker and more maybe toxic sides of BDSM. And then there are very healthy sides of BDSM, mm -hmm. depending on how it's done. Um, but with that said, are you ready for a super fun game where you guess UK uh, slang I'm, is the word? I yes. Think. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Barmy. What is barmy? Um, dang, dang it, darn, shit, something like that. <laughs> like, uh. No, it's no? it's crazy. So really? that's a barmy okay. idea. That's oh. a really shitty British accent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. Bugger all. Uh, fuck all, fuck this, fuck that. Okay, so side note, it means the same as fuck all means in Canada, but not the same that fuck all means in the States. <clears throat> okay, you're gonna have to explain what does fuck all mean in, in Canada? So in Canada, fuck all means either nothing or anything, which sounds funny until I explain it. So if I was like, I went to the store today and they had fuck all for milk, that would mean they didn't have any milk. And if I went to the store and said, they didn't have fuck all for milk, means the same thing. They didn't have any milk. <laughs> so fuck all means nothing, they had nothing, or it means they, like, they didn't have anything or they had nothing or they had 
Sometimes it means anything, but I'm not sure in the context right now. I thought that that was a good example, and that, as I said it, it was not. But that's what it means. Okay. Um, quick short story, and we'll get back to the game, because I just think it's hilarious. I was in the States. I was in Texas, and I was talking. We was with a group of people who were all from uh, Christianity. And so we were sitting there talking about the shows our, kids, our parents wouldn't let us watch. And I was like, my parents wouldn't let me watch Fuck All when I was a kid. And they were all like, of course they wouldn't. Why would they let you watch something called Fuck All? Like, like they won't let you watch Ninja Turtles and you think they'll let you watch Fuck All? And, and that was when I learned that Americans use that word differently. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we do. I, I'm just surprised because the Canadians I know most in general just don't curse. So it's just like, fuck all. You have a term. That fuck, is fuck wild. Canadians yeah. swear so much. You want to hear another gross Canadian slang? This is sure. way off topic, but <laughs> That's um, this one I hate. So <laughs> to say fucking the dog mm -hmm. means to be doing nothing. Mm. So if you go to a store and you're like, where's Jeremy? And the guy goes, oh, he's just back there making puppies. <laughs> It means fucking the dog, which means doing nothing. <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. I need to I need to implement that in yeah. my life. That is And <sighs> another thing where Americans are like, "What did you just say?" <laughs> like fucking the dog. Who would do that? That's terrible. Um, and I'm like, it's, <clears throat> it's not what it means. Um Ooh, But back to back to normal. <laughs> okay, uh chuffed. Chuffed. Bothered, miffed. You know that is what I would think too. It what? sounds like a bad thing. It's the opposite. Happy or satisfied. Chuffed. Huh. Okay. I would think that means like, like, yeah, miffed. Um, okay. So I'm going to do two more because I was very, very distracting throughout this game. I'm usually way cooler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I was very um, educational for me, especially for the Canadian slang. Um, fancy. <clears throat> I want to say nice or good, but I guess that's going to be wrong. It's, uh, well, okay, so I, to be fair, made it seem like it was an adjective when it's really a verb. Mm. So too fancy. Like, so like too fancy, fancy that? Wouldn't that be like in the U.S. where it's like, oh, you like it or you want it? People say that in the United States? That, yeah, like, I fancy, I fancy that. her or I fancy Yeah, I fancy. That? I mean, it's it's more archaic than anything. It's more, I would say it's like a 60s, 70s term. Like, oh, I fancy her. She's, you know. Oh, I've never heard. I've only ever heard <clears> in the context of, of like, well, fancy that. It's like almost like Bob's mm. your uncle. You know, oh, like, well, okay. looky there. Um, <laughs> that's my American accent, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be. Um, anyways, <laughs> I love you, Southern friends. Um, <laughs> all right, one more. One more. What is a Jordy? Oh, God. My first thought is like a chubby or a hard on, but I don't know. A Jordy. Um, maybe a food? I wouldn't have guessed this either. <clears throat> um, it's someone from Newcastle, which I almost read as a Newcastle. And I was like, are there any of those? Um, can also be used as an adjective to describe something, something from Newcastle. So it was a Jordy bike with mm. a Jordy man in it. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not British I, and I don't even know where Newcastle is, but okay, sure. Uh, I know it's in England. Well, yeah, I mean, so, it's going to have to be <laughs> super educated that way. Uh, I wonder if it's like a suburb of London or I think it's like, kind a, of like, like EastEnders or something. Area, you know, right. kind of like, like Brooklyn they have all or... those like areas, almost like counties. Mm. I don't really know. I'm pretending to know things that I don't know. <sighs> Classic podcaster. Anyways, is there anything else you would like to add before? 
Um, just that, you know, for your listeners, if you're in a relationship, talk to your partner, let them know that you have whatever, if you have any interest, whatever, it doesn't have to be a weird, wild fantasy, but have communication with them because as the person that I am, I've ended up being the Sancho or the side guy for a lot of females because they're faking their orgasms because their partner's not giving it to them the way they want, because the girl uh, is bored, tired, and you know, she just wants to get it over with. Don't do that. Let your partner know what you like and what you want. So you don't end up cheating. Mm -hmm. That's, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I had a good time. I love, I love podcasting. And, uh, and I just loved our conversation. I think it was very informative and helpful for people who are kind of struggling with the line. Like myself, where's the line? <laughs> but I think that you've given me a lot of good information and my audience. And uh, so everyone else, if you want to rate or review or whatever, you know how everybody else does that, you can do those things. And other than that, I love you. Bye. If you're like me and you hate the grind of finding new bands but love when you find them, I have a recommendation for you. After Dark is sponsoring today's show, and they are fantastic. So if you're anything like me, go check them out. Check out Colors is probably the first one I'll recommend. After that, my second favorite's probably Breakaway. Highly recommend them. Spotify After Dark.